Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. So today with me on the line, I have Daryl Evans, who's a LA Kings alumni, a radio analyst for them, and who did a good, uh, who had good contributed, contributish, contribute, who did a good job contributing to the miracle on Manchester. Uh, Daryl, let's start with, how are you doing today? I am doing absolutely wonderful. How about yourself? I'm doing great, thanks. Uh, so to start off, uh, who influenced you to start hockey or if anyone, uh, you know, it was kind of something that I stumbled upon. Uh, my dad never played the game of hockey, never actually skated until I, I started playing the game. It was, it was something that we did on the street with, uh, neighborhood kids. We played some ball hockey, some street hockey. And I think it was probably my best friend at that time that his dad, uh, probably, uh, initiated things and, you know, mentioned it to my dad, and the next thing you know, we were playing in-house hockey, and uh, I don't recall ever having skated uh, prior to playing hockey, but uh, in my first year, uh, I was such a bad skater that I became a goaltender because I couldn't move from, uh, you know, from one place to the other without uh, stumbling and falling all over the ice. So, would you like to describe some of those challenges? Like you said, you started with a goalie. How'd you switch back to being a skater? Well, in that, in that time, uh, my mom and dad, we only had one car in the family, and my dad worked a Saturday job, and there was only one game that neither my father or my mother were able to attend. I, I'd gone with one of uh, my neighborhood buddies, and that particular game, we had one of the kids that could raise the puck a little bit, and he flipped it up, and it ended up catching me between the eyes, and my mask must have been made out of tinfoil, and I came home, and uh, I had a couple of black eyes, and my nose was a little on the swollen side. Uh, we sat down for dinner when my dad got home, and he was asking me how hockey was. I said, ah, Dad, I loved it. It was great. Because street hockey, I used to play goal, and I loved doing that. And uh, he goes, well, he goes, next year, he said, if you want to play hockey, he says, you learn to skate. And I'm going, oh, wow. You know, like, how's that going to happen? And uh, they found a uh, power skating school in that particular summer that wasn't too far away from where my home was. And, uh, you know, I owe a lot to the coach that I had at that time. I spent a week there. and. He did a great job at giving me the fundamentals of skating. And, you know, since then, uh, I've gone on now and I've, I've been teaching power skating for uh, almost, almost 50 years. So uh, that week definitely had an impact on not only me becoming a hockey player, but uh, the path that I was going to carry on uh, post-career and, and, and teaching as much as I have. So uh, one week of power skating definitely turned my whole outlook on hockey around. And the next year I was an all-star. You got taken in the ninth round of the 1980 NHL entry draft. Uh, what were those feelings like, being drafted to the Kings, if I'm not mistaken? It, uh, yeah, it was the Kings in 1980. Uh, you know, the draft was at the old Forum in Montreal. So just walking into that building was, you know, kind of like a dream come true. Uh, you know, you see it on TV. And, you know, Montreal, when I was a kid growing up, uh, you know, Dynasty, uh, still the most Stanley Cups in the history of the National Hockey League. But, that building had some magic in it. So just being in that building was, was a great feeling. Uh, being drafted was incredible as well. That was the first year that they'd gone to the 18-year-old draft. Uh, the year before that, it was a 20-year-old draft. They expanded the draft to go to 18. I got kind of caught in the middle there. I was a 19-year-old. So, um, you know, again, being drafted uh, by the Kings was a little bit of a surprise. Uh, you know, a lot of my friends have been uh, drafted by the traditional teams, uh, you know, the Rangers in Montreal, Toronto, Chicago, uh, you know, some of the original six teams. So when I got uh, drafted by a non-traditional kind of hockey market, you know, it, it was a little bit different. I think, uh, you know, initially hearing that, 
but I, I think the, you know that got kind of overlooked by everything by just being here in your name. You know that uh, the Los Angeles Kings have selected selected Daryl Evans, and uh, and that uh, you know that was going to be the next chapter of my life. Did you have a, Did you ever have any bragging rights with your friends since they got drafted to other teams? Uh, pardon me. Did I ever have any uh, bragging rights? Uh, no, you know what? I think at that stage there, you know, having grown up playing with each other and against each other for so many years, I think you always have a mutual respect. Uh, you know, I think, you know, initially, uh, you know, people and players were getting, or my buddies were getting drafted to different places, you know, oh, that's a cool place to go. Oh, that's a great city to go. And I probably looked at it a little different than them, uh, being that they were being drafted by, again, the more traditional hockey markets. And, you know, their thoughts on the other hand was, oh, wow, California, you know, you get to go to the sunshine and go to the beach type of thing. And, you know, they looked at it from a different perspective. But uh, uh, bragging rights, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, all of us, you know, sitting that in that building in, in Montreal, whether we got drafted or we didn't get drafted, um, I think we, we had all earned, you know, the bragging rights to get to that point. And it was just a matter of where you were going to, you know, going in, in the next phase. But uh, I think we all had that mutual respect for each other and, and we're proud of each other and uh, happy to be there and support each other on that special day. In the 1981-82 season, you got uh, unfortunately demoted to the AHL. What was your mentality when you heard that news? Well, I, I wasn't surprised. Uh, you know, I think that was, you know, at that time, uh, you know, that, that was kind of like, you know, again, you look at where you're drafted. I mean, if you're a first round pick, you know, sometimes you're going to, you know, you go stay with the team, but I was drafted in the ninth round. Uh, I was a smaller, so to speak, player. And, uh, you know, I had to prove myself. So, you know, being sent down right off the bat was, was not a surprise to me. Uh, the coach who was Don Perry down in the American Hockey League for the New Haven Nighthawks, I had a little bit of experience with him. I'd finished off the previous season uh, playing with him in the uh, International League with the Saginaw Gears. So I was going to go down. I was going to play for him. He was a little familiar with me. And uh, it, it was a good experience. And I think because of that, uh, having that experience in the American Hockey League, uh, you know, you get to play against men. It was definitely an elevation from playing junior hockey and even from the International League the year before. So I learned a lot from that. And I think I was able to apply it when I eventually did get the call up uh, in March in, uh, in 82. Did you, so you use the experience that you got from the American Hockey League to help you boost your game? Yeah, I think, you know, you mature in a lot of ways. I mean, you're now, you're, you know, you're professional, you're being paid, uh, you know, you're a little bit more independent, you're, you're living on your own in junior. When you play junior hockey, you know, you tend to live with a family and somebody's taking care of you. So not only have you got to take care of your business on the ice, you got to take care of your business away from the ice. And uh, so I think there's a, a real growing up period there. Uh, I found myself as a mature kid growing up, but it, it was a great experience. And I think, you know, again, being down in the American League, uh, you know, the schedule, uh, very demanding, obviously a lot of bus travel down there, a little bit a little bit on the plane. But, um, you know, there, there was an expectation and, uh, you know, there was there was a lot of things that need to be met. And I think I was able to uh, eventually find a way to do that. Uh, I got injured at, you know, that first year when I was in New Haven and ended up missing uh, well over a couple of months with a, a broken wrist. So, uh, you know, that may have slowed the process a little bit, but I never turned back the clock with the way it went. Uh, getting a call up in March when it led to uh, in the next uh, two months was incredible for me and, and for our franchise at that time. Your career really took off the next season as you scored 40 points, uh, 18 goals and 22 assists. What contributed to that season? Well, I think it had to do with the, you know, the strong finish in the playoffs there. 
Uh, I got a chance in 81-82 to play the last 14 games of the regular season. I picked up a couple of goals. I believe I had eight points in that period. But it was the probably the growth in the playoffs. I mean, in that particular year in 82, that's when they expanded the roster from 19 to 20 skaters. Uh, I wasn't even supposed to dress for the playoffs. I was just supposed to be, you know, an extra player, so-called one of the black aces that, you know, was around in case anybody got hurt and they got short on bodies. But uh, I was fortunate enough to get in. Uh, a lot of that had to do with the trust that uh, Coach Don Perry had with me, having coached me uh, in the International League the year before, the American Hockey League that year. He got called up during the year to become the Kings coach. Uh, so I was somebody, somebody that he was familiar with and, and could trust. And uh, he put me in a lineup, uh, you know, and game one started. You know, that year Edmonton was supposed to walk right through us. I mean, they had a powerhouse. They finished 46 points ahead of us during the regular season. And they were supposed to, like I say, just walk right through us. And that's what it looked like when the game started. They were up 4-1 in the first period. And, you know, I think at that point, that's where uh, the coach, Don Perry, you know, decided to make some decision. I might as well play some of these kids. You know, these kids potentially might be the future of the Los Angeles Kings. And, you know, he gives some of us an opportunity. Well, before the uh, game was over, we ended up winning the game by a score of 10-8. to I had two goals and two assists. I was a first-star hockey night in Canada. And what a way to start your uh, NHL playoff career. And, you know, the next night, Gretzky beats us in overtime, 3-2. to two. You go back to L.A., that sets the stage for the miracle on Manchester. We went 6-5 in overtime. I uh, scored the overtime goal there. Two nights later, they beat us 3-2 to two again. And just to show how, you know, unsure that there was going to be a game five, both teams ended up flying on the same plane back to Edmonton for game five. And, uh, arguably one of the quietest flights I've ever been on. We won that game 7-4 to four in Edmonton, game 5 to win that series, and then go on and play the Vancouver Canucks. But the experience that I gained there, uh, leading our team in scoring, you know, kind of set the stage for the following year. Uh, I would like to have followed up with a better year than I had. I mean, 18 goals, 22 points wasn't a bad year. Uh, but uh, I don't think I, I, I reached my potential uh, in, that, in that season. But uh, – you know, I tried to make the best of it as I can, as I could. How, so what did this team say in terms of how to defend Wayne Gretzky since he's arguably the greatest player of all time? Well, I think in a situation when you get to play against a, a great player like that, uh, you know, you try to contain a player. You know, everybody uses the word stop. Uh, you know, how, how do you take one of the game? Well, you can't do that. I mean, players, there are certain players that are at that level that you have to find a way to contain them. And you hope that you can contain him enough that collectively as a group, you can beat him as a team. And that's the only way that you're going to do that. And we were, we were, you know, we were fortunate enough that we were able to do that. I think that particular year, he was the same age as I was. Uh, they were a young team, that Oiler team. And they probably learned more from losing that series than they would have had they beat us in that series. I think it was that one step backwards that propelled them forward into winning Stanley Cups, uh, you know, through the 80s there. But, uh, you know, he was a guy you always had to be aware of when he was on the ice. He, he was a step ahead of, ahead of everybody. Uh, his mind was incredible. It's not that he was faster, stronger, shot the puck harder. It's where his mind was. He had a hockey mind at that time that, you know, nobody was, uh, you know, familiar with. He did things and saw things in a whole different light. And uh, it was really – it was a great experience playing against him, uh, you know, defeating him that year. You know, it was, it was really special. Uh, but, again, as we see in the years to follow, what he became and what the Oilers did uh, becoming a dynasty there in the 80s was, uh, was, was a special time for them and in the NHL as well. 
you guys won game one, like you said, of a score, uh, 10 to 8, like, very high scoring. And that's how that, that's what the theme was in the 80s. Is that when reality set in and, you know, you guys were like, we could actually win against the Oilers? Well, there's definitely a boost. And we were fortunate that year that the first round of the playoffs was only a five-game series. So, bang, all of a sudden now you capture game one. You know, you're up one game and up. They've got to beat you three out of the next four games, you know, to move on. I think the next night, I mean, we gave them a good push. He ended up, like I say, they beat us in overtime, three to two. Gretzky scores in overtime. So we did give them a good push. But I think at that point there, they gained enough confidence and they thought they had the momentum. And I think everybody in the public eye that, okay, here's the Oilers that we expect. And, you know, within 48 hours when we were playing in Los Angeles, when they jumped out and they had a 5 nothing lead, that's what everybody expected to see. You know, all of a sudden now they would, have, you know, they were in a good position to win that game, take a, you know, a comfortable two-one lead, and you know, probably wrap it up if not in Game Four that they'd win Game Five. And you know, when being down by five goals going into the third period, our mentality was, you know, it was our first game on home ice in the playoffs that year. It was to, you know, we owe something to our fans. We, you know, we needed we needed to show better than we did. And we just kind of, you know, just pecked away at it. We scored our first goal a couple of minutes in. By the middle of the period, it was five to two. Uh, you know, at that point, myself, along with a few of our teammates, we got those 10-minute misconducts for dancing. So we were ejected at 9.56 of the third period. So we watched the game and listened to the game in the locker room, and uh, our teammates battled back. Another pivotal part was when uh, a five-minute major penalty was taken there by the Oilers uh, on Dave Lewis, and uh, he was cut over the eye, and that put us on the power play, and Steve Bozak's goal of five seconds left ties things up, and that set the stage for the overtime. But we gained a lot of confidence from that. Uh, you know, again, you would think taking another setback when we lost the next game and that we were going back to Edmonton for game five, that the momentum would have been in their favor. But not only was the momentum maybe in their favor, so was the pressure. We had no pressure. We weren't, we'd weren't. we already overachieved. We, we shouldn't have won two games. We shouldn't have won any game. So um, we were we, we played, I don't want to say loosey-goosey, but we were relaxed and, uh, and it showed on the ice. Ironic that they were one of the highest scoring teams in the history of the NHL. And that year, uh, I can't remember exactly how many goals they scored, but we win the three games, 10-8, 6-5 in overtime, and 7-4. And they win the two tight games, 3-2. So we kind of beat them at their own game. And uh, I think that's what probably uh, you know made the series even, even a little more strange than, than it already was. Would you say that special teams, like the power play and penalty kill, played a majority role in beating the Oilers at their own game? No doubt about it. Uh, we excelled on the power play, as did they. I mean, you know, they had so many weapons to go to, but we definitely took advantage of our power play. Uh, I think our power play in that playoff year, again, going on to the next series against Vancouver, I think it was close to 30%. So the numbers were uh, were, were pretty darn good. Uh, and it, you'd have to win that part of the game because, you know, at that time, uh, you know, there was games, there was a lot of penalties. Uh, you know, there was a lot of physicality, a lot of, you know, everybody, you know, kind of sticking their chest out, trying to get the upper hand on the other team. And, you know, so there's going to be a lot of time time spent on the special teams. And they scored shorthanded goals and you know, power play goals. But we were able to counter and uh, score some timely uh, special team goals as, our, uh, as well as our own. Uh, during game three, obviously, you uh, keep saying you guys were down 5 nothing. What was the team morale? Was it just completely shot? Uh, we were a little bit down, there was no doubt. Um, you know, I think the best thing that happens there when you're down like that is that you're able to go into the locker room and regroup. Uh, you know, if the clock continues to keep running, you know, I think 
they just, you know, they, they trash us. Who knows what the score would have ended up. But I think when you hit that reset button a little bit, it sends them to their locker room. They go in there patting each other on the back. They've all got nice statistics going. And, we you know, we come in and, you know, it was, again, we'd already achieved more than we were supposed to. We had already won a game. We weren't supposed to do that. So it was just a matter of, uh, you know, playing with a little bit of pride, and, you know, and, uh, and doing something for our fans. And, and it, it was not something that happened all at once. It was different stages. It was scoring that first goal, getting it early help. By the middle of the period, you know, like I say, it was five to two. Yeah, you know, somewhat respectable. We're leading this period. Let's win the period and take that momentum into the next game. Five-minute major penalty comes about. Next thing you know, you get it going. A uh, couple of big saves by Mario Lassard and Net. They missed a couple of breakaways. And uh, you could slowly see things starting to turn. Uh, you know, the, the cocky faces that they had in the second period leaving 5 nothing. those expressions weren't on their faces anymore. There was a little bit of concern. And you know, as each goal went in, the, uh, you know, the concern got a little bit uh, greater for them. And, you know, and again, our, our, our team, we sensed that we we're, uh, you know, uh, on the cusp of, uh, you know, hopefully doing something special. But we were, we were just riding the wave and, and going with it. It was just a matter of would we have enough time on the clock to be able to tie things up uh, to be able to set the stage for the overtime. You scored the game winner in overtime. Was that moment special for you? Yeah, I think it's something that I really learned to appreciate probably more so post-career than actually in that moment. You know, having just come from junior hockey where you're involved in a lot of high-scoring games, not that you're coming back from five goal, you know, deficits all the time, but, uh, you know, you get put out, you get put into a situation there and, you know, it puck ends up in the back of the net within two seconds from a faceoff. Uh, you know, your teammates and, you know, you, you celebrate, uh, you get caught up in the moment. But I think, you know, now, again, reflecting upon, you know, the team that we played against, the talent that was on the other side, the potential Hall of Famers that played on that team, uh, probably, you know, magnified it a little bit more. And, you know, again, you know, here we are, it's, uh, you know, 38 years later, and, you know, it still stands as the greatest comeback in, you know, in Stanley Cup playoff history. And, uh, you know, it's, it's something that I'll, that I'll never forget. And, again, I probably learned to appreciate and cherish more and more as time goes by. Do you remember how awkward the scene was when you boarded the plane with the Oilers? Yeah, it was uh, very, very quiet. Uh, you know, it, uh, it was one of those situations. I can't remember if, if it was they, their team that sat at the front or our team. I believe it was theirs, but, you know, we were obviously separated and it was a quiet flight. And, you know, we were, you know, I think, you know, as an individual, you sit there and you're, you're sitting on a plane, you know, it gives you a little bit of time to think. And from our standpoint, like it's, you know, gee, pinch me. I'm going into game five in a five-game series against the Edmonton Oilers. Like, we got a chance to win this thing. And I'm sure on the other side of th their things, like they're happy they're going back home. They're probably confident that they can beat us. But then again, they had that pressure that was upon them. They were expected and they were supposed to win that series. So anything shy of that, even had they beat us in game five, probably would have been a disappointment just because we tested them so much. But uh, it was, again, that's part of the learning curve. And it just goes to show you how great those players as individuals were and how great a team they became because I think that played a real critical part in them, in them learning and uh, benefiting from it moving forward. How long did, the, did your team party after pulling off the huge upset against the Gretzky-led Oilers? Uh, you, you know, no time whatsoever. I mean, because we had to go right from Edmonton right to Vancouver. So you get ready for the next series. I mean, 
you know, you celebrate at the moment in the locker room and things like that, maybe a little bit on the bus, maybe the flight takes them. But you're, you're, you're on your way. You're, you know, it, uh, as unbelievable as a feeling that was, all of a sudden you're back at an even playing field again. You know, you're zero games to zero. You're playing against a new opponent, and none of that means anything anymore. So that's just uh, – it's, it's one step into the, into the, into the process. And uh, I think that was, uh, you know, the way that we approached that we're, you know, we're all happy or pat yourself, you know, each other on the back for what we accomplished, but we also knew that we had a mountain in front of us. And that was only uh, one step before. I've, you know, fast forwarding to, uh, I think like a couple of seasons uh, in the future, uh, Wayne Gretzky got traded to the Kings. What was your story when you heard that news? Oh, that was great news, uh, you know, for the city of Los Angeles and for the game of hockey. Uh, always sad to see a player of that status get traded. Uh, I think you always envision those players as playing their entire career uh, with a franchise. Uh, you know, he was the face of the NHL. He was the face of the game worldwide. Uh, I grew up playing with and against Wayne, so I, I was very familiar with him. And, and I know, that, you know, that that hurt him a lot. I, you know, I think when you look at, the team that they had there, they had the potential to go on and win many, many more championships with that, with that core of players that they had because they were all still so young. But uh, on a selfish way, having come to Los Angeles, uh, you could expect that it was going to mean big things. Uh, you know, Los Angeles at that time, you know, the Lakers, you know, dominating you know, sports. Uh, Dodgers were, you know, way up there as well. But uh, I think, you know, from the, with the Lakers, you know, the stage that, that they set in the arena, uh, this all of a sudden – kind of put hockey, you know, at, at that level. They're bringing in the greatest name in our game to play on that stage. And uh, Wayne did not disappoint. Uh, you know, he did some incredible things. Uh, they had some great teams, that, you know, with Wayne. Uh, you know, and on the ice, uh, he provided the entertainment. And, you know, the entertainment capital of the world here in Los Angeles uh, uh, was not disappointed. They got, uh, they got to see some great hockey uh, from one of the greatest players to ever play the game. Looking back on your career, is there something that you would have changed? Nothing at all. Uh, nothing at all. Uh, you know, I think, uh, I think as we look forward, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not disappointed with the way things went. Would I love to play a longer career in the NHL? Of course. Uh, but I wouldn't give up anything, uh, you know, that I did or the experiences that I had or what I accomplished. Uh, because there's never any guarantee of any of that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, you can get injured at any given time, or for whatever reason, you might not be good enough or somebody else will take your job. But uh, that's part of the game. I think that's something that we accept as we uh, start playing the game, you know, right from a young age. But uh, I look at it, I'm proud of every moment, uh, the things that I was able to accomplish. And probably, as you know, from the standpoint of where I'm at now, uh, being removed from the game as a player as long as I have it, I am probably more proud of what I've accomplished post-career than I actually did while I was playing. I mean, playing in the NHL was a dream come true. Uh, playing against the Oilers in that playoff year and winning that series was unbelievable. But uh, the impact that I've had on youth hockey here in California helped growing the game, girls hockey, women's hockey. Uh, it's something that I, I take a lot of pride in. I, mean, I do a lot of charity work, involved in a lot of different charities. And uh, I think – you know, having been given the opportunity to be able to give back because of hockey, I'll be forever grateful to the game of hockey for what it has allowed me to be able to do and uh, the connections and relationships and the people that, you know, hopefully I've been able to impact uh, in my, in, in my post career. Uh, and that'll continue for many years to come, but uh, would not change a thing. 
What type of charity work do you do? Uh, I'm, uh, I, I'm involved with the American Heart Association. Uh, I sit on the board for the, or sat on the board for the Go, Go Red for Women campaign. Um, my mom had had some work done in her heart a number of years ago. Uh, so for a number of years there, I donated $100 for every power play goal that the Kings scored. That went to their foundation. I did the same thing with the Ronald McDonald Health of Southern California. Uh, I posted some walks for the National Brain Tumor Society, been an MC for a few of their events. And right now I'm doing a lot of work with uh, pancreatic cancer. Uh, I host both their LA and their Orange County walks. Uh, I'm their MC for those events. And, and I've, I've met some great people, uh, and I've met some unbelievably strong people, people battling these diseases. Uh, I wish there were more hours in the day to be able to do more things like that. Uh, you know, I try to do as much with the children's hospitals as I possibly can. Uh, Alzheimer's disease, people that I've known that have been affected by that, Parkinson's disease. I try to do as much charitable work as I possibly can. I think, you know, there's things that we are given in life uh, you know, everybody likes to look at things, you know, monetarily, you know, push like all towards money. I think the greatest gift that we can give is our time. Money we can always get back, money we can always earn. If I give you an hour of my time, I can't get that time back. So by me giving my time to where I'm, don't, you know, allocating my time or putting it or donating my time towards, it's got to be very special. So I, I take a lot of pride in what I do with that. And Again, the, uh, the connections and relationships that I've met, the people I've come across have been some just amazing people. And there are so many people behind the scenes of all these foundations and charities that do some incredible work. And I do a lot of work with, you know, our, our own uh, charity, uh, you know, the King's Care Foundation. I get involved in everything that they do, whether it's going to schools, hospitals, businesses, inner city, ball hockey, whatever it is. Uh, it, it's something that I take a lot of pride in. <coughs> Do any former or present LA Kings help you out with your charity work? Uh, I think everybody does uh, some of the things in their own way. I think everybody has their own involvements in different things. Uh, but, you know, like with our camps and clinics and things like that, uh, there'll be different times, uh, different events that we go to where we'll send a couple of alumni, you know, whether it's to a ball hockey clinic, uh, the ice hockey clinics that we do. Uh, you know, other guys will come out and, uh, and help out when we do our Kings camp. Uh, we usually have a half a dozen of our alumni that come up to those things, which is great. Uh, when we do our uh, fantasy camp, we, you know, some years we might have as many as 15 of our alumni, alumni come around. So, uh, yeah, you know, our, our group is great here. Uh, they've done a great job. And, and that's what's kind of bridged the community with, with our, our, our Kings team here. Uh, we, you know, we are notorious for going out in the community and trying to help out as much as we can, especially with the school districts. Uh, and, and things like that, and uh, I take a lot of pride now. We get involved with like law enforcement, the fire department. Uh, you know, just again giving back for all the support that these people have given and shown us over the years, and you know, for being able to uh, you know to uh, create a platform for us to be able to uh, excel in and succeed in and, and do the, and do and do what we like to do. So it's 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 teamwork, and uh, you know, it goes right from uh, you know from ourselves all the way out into the community. To each and every person that we touch and that they touch. During some players' uh, careers, they always uh, want to envision themselves giving back to the community. Uh, did you ever set that goal for yourself? I don't know if it's necessarily a goal that I would say that I set. Um, I think that's something that just kind of evolves, um, you know, w you know, with your personality and things like that. 
I think I, you know, I think some of it stems back to that first job that I had uh, becoming a power skating junior, so to speak, instructor uh, before my 11th birthday, that it was a way to give back. And here I was a kid that less than two years earlier couldn't skate five feet without falling down. So now I was on the ice with kids that were anywhere from two to, and I remember even having a man as old as 29 that could not skate as well as I did when I was on the ice for that first time. And, you know, seeing them take those steps and helping them out, it was so rewarding. And just to understand that how much you can impact somebody's life with an act of kindness like that. Uh, I, I was well brought up. My parents uh, were very giving people. I think they, you know, they showed that in the way that we lived at home with, you know, with my brother and my sister and our family uh, to help one another out. And, uh, and I, I've taken that mentality and I pushed it into everything that I, that I do in life. And uh, it, it really has created some amazing moments for me. Now, going back to the topic of hockey, what's your views on today's game? Well, it's, you know, it's a different type of game. Uh, you know, we saw a period when we played back in the 80s, a lot of high scoring and things like that. There's no doubt that today's athlete, whether it's hockey, baseball, football, basketball, you know, golf, you know, whatever sport that you want to take, that the, uh, the athlete has got so much more accessibility to enhance their game, especially at a young age. Uh, being that someone that works with young kids, I mean, we've got four and five-year-old kids that come to the rink. You should see these kids stick handle. I mean, you should see these kids skate. I mean, you know, these are things we never even dreamed of as kids, and they want to emulate everything that they see. You know, the videos that they're able to watch. You know, you, you get on the Internet, you find out how to stick handle, or how to do this, how to do that, and they practice it, and I give them a lot of credit. Um, I think the athlete is a little bit different in the respect that, you know, back in our time, we we kind of had to try to create those type of things. Like we pioneered some of those type of things, but we, you know, we had nowhere near the idea of what these kids have today on the game. But today's athlete is incredible. The hockey player is amazing. The speeds they can skate at. Uh, you look at a, like an Connor McDavid uh, being able to handle the puck at the speed that he goes. It's incredible. Alexander Ovechkin and his longevity. Uh, you know, he may become the greatest scorer you know, that the game sees all depends, you know, you know, whether or not he can stay healthy and, you know, we'll see where the game goes from there. Uh, the format of the game right now with the three on three and overtime, I think is very exciting. I think that's taking the game to another level. I think, uh, you know, taking uh, away from all the physical play, I'm not saying the game's not physical, but the clutching and grabbing, the, you know, more so, I think that's really opened things up and allowed these guys to show their athleticism. Uh, and I think the crowd is, you know, greatly entertained by that uh, but it, it's a fun game to watch the pace of the game the way it's played is incredible uh, you know I look forward to meeting you know the new players each year as they come out uh, just to see how much further advanced that they are but being somebody again that works with the kids on a day-to-day -day basis uh, the evolution of the game is incredible it's great to see where it's gone globally going to the, you know we've been to China uh, you know we've been to China we we're, we're over in uh, in London that we play we played in Austria uh, you know, Switzerland and, you know, and things like this, uh, Sweden, uh, just to see the, you know, the popularity of the game and how, how much it, it, how far it has come in such a really in a short period of time, really in the last 30, 40 years, it's, it's been great to watch it. The sky's the limit as to where it's going to go. The outdoor games have been incredible. Uh, you know, you look at the, some of the venues where, you know, where we've gone and played those games. I mean, 
it, it just, it's, you know, just great memories and a great way to showcase our great game of hockey. Do you have any advice for aspiring hockey players that may look up to you? I think, you know, from a, you know, a hockey player, a young hockey player, and I, you know, I try to tell young players and families, you know, we all dream, uh, you know, playing in a national hockey league or, you know, if it's a different sport, you know, playing in the NBA, MLB, you know, whatever it may be, but, you know, focusing on hockey, you know, you never want to squash your kid's dreams. If a kid dreams to be in the NHL, let him dream. Never take away a kid's dream. I think the important thing is, you know, I try to stress to the kids, you know, when you're looking at hockey, hockey's a privilege. It's something you can't take for granted. You know, the recreation thing. I see the important things are, you know, what you're doing at home, your family life, your health and things like that. And then you've got to take care of your school. When those things are in place, then you get the luxury of being able to take on some recreation, being the game of hockey that you're involved in. With that, I said, now you want to set yourself goals. You want to improve yourself. You're only going to get a limited amount of time on the ice. Don't waste your time on the ice. And it's a very expensive sport, unfortunately. I mean, we can go out and play street hockey. We can play the game recreationally and love the game. And there's thousands of people across the world that do that, maybe even millions, and, uh, and you know, and, and have not even tried to play ice hockey. But, uh, you know, if you do have that dream, go all in because, uh, you know, especially in today's game, you only get one chance. You can't reflect back at the age of 30 and say, oh, you know, I'll go back to school and I'll pick up the game and I'll go try out as a 35 or 40 year old. That's not going to happen. You got one chance at it. So you want to go all in, uh, give it your best, uh, you know, practice when you can. Uh, you've got to take so much upon yourself as an individual and you've got to be a good teammate. You've got to be a good listener, but I think realistic goals, uh, you know, you, you have to set and you have to set attainable goals because if you set attainable goals, you never fail. I think for, you know, for a young kid and for a family, I always stress that if you can get your kid, you know, through his school years, get him a scholarship, get him into college, you've hit the lottery. I said, what happens beyond there, whether you make it to the National Hockey League or you get an opportunity to go play overseas in Europe or, you know, in a foreign country, that'll be another chapter and experience that will be incredible. But I said, if you can get yourself, you know, let's look, face it, there's a lot of trouble on the streets these days. If you can get yourself through those critical years, you get yourself an education, you learn to be a good teammate. You learn to support teammates. There's so many things that I learned in the game of hockey that I've applied now in my post-career, but it's all from the game of hockey. So if you can get yourself to college, get yourself a scholarship, have your education paid for, you've hit the lottery, and then hopefully from there you're able to take that next step and, and fulfill your dream of playing the National Hockey League. You said that uh, hockey is one of the expensive sports, which is true. Do you think that minor hockey associations should cut down the price, which could increase their enrollment? Well, I mean, I think, you know, with the game of hockey, what we've tried to do is we've tried to bring the game to people in different ways. And that being ball hockey, uh, you know, we had roller hockey for a number of years. Uh, I don't know whether or not we'll ever see it in my, in my lifetime. I think there will one day be a, a surface that we play on. Uh, we can call it synthetic ice now if we want. But I think if we're able to find a surface that we can play on that uh, – you know, doesn't require the refrigeration and that kind of stuff. I think that will bring the cost down because uh, I think we can pop more rinks up, uh, you know, in, in areas, allowing more kids to be able to play. But I, I think the game is really growing. I think when you look at um, the reason why it's growing so much, when you look at, we've, you know, half the population, again, just using rough numbers, half the population is female. You look at the growth of women's hockey right now. We have so many young girls. I'm the president of our uh, of our LA Lions, our, our, our youth girls program. 
and just watching the numbers grow in that game and the passion that they have for the game and now knowing that they can play against girls and play against competitive girls has created such a great environment for them. And then, again, with the NHL going over to China, and we were the first team to go there with Vancouver, you're looking at a population of 1.5, 1.6 billion people. We're, express, we're exposing the game to them. They're passionate about the game. And I think now the interest from different parts of the world is growing. So this game is growing like, like wildfire, and, and we'll continue to keep doing that. If we can bring the, you know, the cost down a little bit, I think that would definitely you know, enhance the growth of the game. Let's face it, everybody can't afford to play the game. But if we can at least get them to a stage where we can play the ball hockey, the street hockey, the roller hockey, and things like that, then I think the athlete that will make his way into the NHL will play his way out. He'll find his way onto the ice, whether it's through sponsorship or help somehow or another if they need that help. They'll find a way to get there. But as long as we can create that huge platform on the bottom where we can attract millions of kids across the world to play our game, I think we're going to find a, a better product eventually when it comes to the NHL because we're going to dip into some pools that we never have dipped in in the past. And there's going to be some great athletes that are going to show and play in the National Hockey League. You landed a job with the LA Kings as a radio analyst, like I said. How did that opportunity come about? Well, it was a little bit of a mistake, uh, not a mistake, I mean, a little bit of a, just kind of a coincidence. Uh, when I'd finished playing hockey, I got involved in the automobile business. I was managing a Cadillac dealership, and uh, Sam McMaster had just become uh, the general manager of the Kings when, when Gretzky was here, and I was at the airport picking up my brother. He happened to be on the same plane. We had a conversation. He asked me what I was doing. I told him I was managing a car dealership, and he asked me for a card and said, I'll give you a call tomorrow. I'll probably need a car, and uh, tomorrow morning and the next day, he gave me a call, and Next thing you know, uh, between the Kings and my, my dealership, uh, we'd come across, we'd put together a, dealer, a deal that uh, it required uh, some ticket exchange along with some cars and uh, some advertising, be it the uh, program, as well as uh, some radio uh, uh, commercials. And everything had been fulfilled aside from the radio commercials. And then the one day, uh, somebody from the Kings had called, and they called me because I was a contact with the dealership. And... You know, they said that the Kings had not fulfilled the radio uh, spot yet. And so I took it to my boss and I said, hey, what's going on? He goes, well, why don't you go do it? So next thing you know, I was uh, at the forum uh, and I was going to do a 30-second radio commercial with who is now my partner, uh, Hall of Fame broadcaster, Nick Nixon. And I went and, uh, you know, he asked me to meet him about, you know, 4 o'clock that afternoon uh, before they got things going at the game. And and I was going to stay and watch the game. Mike Allison was the color analyst at that time, and he wasn't in the rink yet, and I was asking about him. And for whatever the reason, uh, he had gotten a call from back home. There was uh, uh, some bad news from back home, and he was arranging a flight to fly out the next day. And uh, so I said, okay. And uh, then I looked at the schedule, and the Kings were, whether they were playing the next day or the day after that, I – said to my partner, Nick, I said, Nick, I said, uh, you know, who's doing the game with you, you know, tomorrow night where, you know, if Mike's going home, he goes, oh gosh, he said, I hadn't thought of that. I said, well, I'll do it with you. That's how I did my first game. Did you find that it was challenging since it was your first game and you were just put in there? Of course it's challenging. I mean, I, I you know, I still look at it now, uh, you know, 21 years into it, I still look at it as challenging. Uh, I think each and every day, uh, the game's a moving target. You have to stay up with today's athlete. But that's the challenge that I like. I really, I really, uh, I really enjoy, I embrace that challenge, uh, you know, learning something about our, our, 
hard game every day, learning something about the athlete. Uh, how can I better myself? You look at the young broadcasters that are coming up. You know, what are they doing? You know, I've been around some of the greats, uh, you know, Hall of Famer, Bob Miller, my partner, Nick Nixon, Hall of Famer, Jim Fox, teammate, you know, broadcaster 30 years. Uh, you know, and then even like now, Alex Faust, who's joined our, our broadcast team, is the play-by-play guy. You know, you learn from these guys and, you know, all the people involved in the production and things like that, you know, behind the scenes, the engineers and that. If you're not learning something every day, then, you know, if you're standing still, you're going backwards. So, uh it, it, it's great to see the way it's gone, and uh, it's I, I really I really enjoy doing it. Uh, you know, 21 years have gone by. It seems like it was yesterday, and uh, I look forward to the next 21. Uh, final question here: Do you use any of your knowledge uh, from when you played to make it a more enjoyable experience when the viewer is listening? Well, I think I think that's especially uh, in playing a part of an analyst. Uh, I think that is important. I think people are looking from for that perspective. Um, now again, it's a different game. I think you can kind of try to mesh, you know, the, the you know the generations. I think you can mesh that a little bit. Uh, again, hockey's hockey; it's changed a little bit. But again, you know, the ultimate goal is still the same thing on the ice. How you get to those, you know, to those uh, places are you know maybe a little bit different and uh, maybe a little bit more skillful now. But I think people look for that for that uh, that that opinion. Uh, and especially somebody, you know, that has, has walked through it, gone through it. Um, you know, I pride myself. I go to practice every day. You know, I try to talk to the guys every day. You know, I try to stay on the same page. I, I was fortunate enough. I was involved with, the, uh, with our development team for a number of years. So as we were drafting these kids as 17 and 18-year-olds, I got a chance to meet them the first day that their name got, you know, mentioned that they were drafted by the Kings. And, you know, just kind of pick their brain a little bit. You get a little bit of trust from them. You build relationships. Uh, you know, now some of these guys have been here, you know, 13, 14, you know, years and, you, you know, you, you get to know them quite well. And I think that kind of takes down some of the barriers and gets you, you know, some of those stories and some of the, you know, the, the comments that, you know, people want to hear that maybe you wouldn't normally get, you know, if you weren't a former player. I think, uh, you know, as long as you do your job well and you're honest and sincere uh, and you're not looking to, you know, to, you know, to come up with a comment or try to hurt anybody, I think you'll be surprised at the, the trust an athlete will show in you and the things that they will tell you and allow you to be able to use on the air. So I think, uh, you know, you, you really have to build, build that trust. Uh, and that's something that I pride myself in that uh, I always have the athlete, whatever I'm saying, uh, you know, of course my opinion, you know, is what other people are looking for. I'll say that, but uh I will never, uh, you know, never, never sit there and, and bash a player uh, or say something out of context from that they said to me. So uh, I think that's uh, there, there's a unique and a fine line there. But uh, being a former player, I think definitely benefits the position that I'm in today. I would like to thank Daryl Evans again for coming on the podcast today. Uh, it's been great talking to you. Great talking about the game of hockey and. And we look forward to getting through this uh, time and getting the game of hockey back on the ice. Keep up your great work. Good luck with all your stuff in the future. And I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Awesome. Thank you again, Daryl. My pleasure.